You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. I will, I will second what Brother Ben said. It's always a joy to be in church on Wednesday nights. It's, uh, it's always a very humbling experience just looking back at all the things that God has brought me through. There, there was a time in my life where, where Wednesdays really weren't um, thought of even going to church. It wasn't even on my mind. Uh, and just to see where God has brought me. I, you know, Brother Ben had asked me right before the service if, if the nerves were, were, you know, were gone, how the nerves were doing. And and I'll be honest, I think I get more nervous every time I come up here. Um, and we laugh at that, but I really hope that never goes away. I, I hope that I don't ever get over the fact that God called me to preach. That he would take a nobody and let me preach about a somebody. How important that is to me and, and, and how I don't take that lightly. I spend time in prayer about this. And, you know, I've never really understood when, when pastors or preachers come up and they say, you know, uh, I had a different message in line uh, until this week. Um, I had really been planning a different message for, for a couple weeks. Uh, you know, I knew I was going to preach about a week ago, and I had kind of already been working on a certain message, and, and maybe, Lord willing, that's God will have me to preach one day. But uh, Monday night, I got about halfway through that message, and God made it abundantly clear that it just wasn't going to work. Uh, and so, I, you know, I got in a little bit of a scramble, Brother Ben. I was kind of like, okay, what, what am I going to do? And then, you know, like we should always do, we should go to prayer in God and just allow him to give us that guidance. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, your mind starts to wander. Sometimes you start to think about just what God's done in your life, how good he's been. Uh, you know, we just had the Providence Tour Group, and it's just, it's amazing to me to see young people use their talents in that way for the Lord. Uh, it's really just amazing the talent that they have. You had the, the, the young lady from uh, Honduras, I believe she was from. Just amazing what she probably had to go through to get from that country to come to our country and to be able to go to Bible college. And that just shows you the drive. You know, when God gets a hold of somebody's heart, how he can use them in that way. It's just an amazing thing to watch our young people. Uh, you know, we see, we see them... Uh, they're acting crazy out there and they're, you know, they're being fools and they're hurting each other. But really, when you talk to these young people, you get to know their hearts and you get to know their desires and you get to know how God is working in their lives. And it's just been very interesting, you know, seeing that tour group come has really started to uh, make it really real that Jill's going to Bible college soon. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something she's been in prayer about. And, it's, as a parent, you wonder, have I done enough uh, to, to hope that she has learned the, the lessons that we've instilled in her? Have, have we done enough? Have we, have we loved her enough? Have we been there for her when she needed us? Have we answered the questions that she needs answers to? Have we really guided her in that way and helped her to see that, you know, this isn't mom and dad's God. It could be her God, too. And is she turning to that God? And it's really, over these last few weeks, I've, I've, I've thought a lot about the bus kids. I've thought a lot about the kids that come and sit on the front row from, from baby Ryan and the ones that aren't born yet, all the way up to Ian Duncan and everywhere in between. 
And, you know, I think about the names, and maybe I don't have all the names memorized, but I, I know a good portion of them. You think maybe we don't notice you guys, but we, we spend time in prayer for you guys. And there are so many things. If you were to look around this room, there are so many things that people have been through that if you would just take the time to listen to what people have to say and how God has guided them through the hardest parts of their lives, you young people, if you would, if you would just get a hold of that and listen to that, you could, you could stray from so much heartache. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't typically come up here and have, have pointed messages, but, but tonight I, I am preaching to young people. Uh, I believe if you came to hear from God, you can apply this message to you as well. I think it can help each and every one of us. But I have been burdened uh, with our young people. I think about some of the things that, you know, Jeremy and Jillian have experienced and how uh, I know exactly what they're going through, specifically with, with jobs. You know, a lot of people have cautioned me, don't let your kids work. It's, it's probably not a good idea with the school load. And, and I understand that. And, and I don't need you to come up to me and, and give me parenting advice later. You know, I understand that. But I, I believe that they need to see this stuff. They're going to see it at some point. Uh, the other day, Jeremy came home and I heard him talking to his mom and he was talking about a coworker. And, you know, Jeremy was trying to talk about church and, and give the gospel. And the kid said that he, he was an atheist. And he said, if God stood in front of him right now, he'd spit in his face. Now, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. So punching him in the face is out of the question. That's, that's what I want to do when I hear Jeremy talk about that stuff. I can't imagine how he would feel in that situation. He experiences some of the, some of the same things that I experience at work that, that frustrate me and drain me spiritually that I, that I come home and talk to my wife about. He's experiencing that. How do, I mean, what do you do as a father? Jillian, she comes home and she talks about some of the, you know, this, this nation is overrun with this LGBTQT garbage. I don't play into that fantasy, so don't ask me about it. But these kids, they have to experience it. It's in schools. It's in workplaces. So what do you do? The only thing you can really do is tell them that they need to get a hold of this book. Because there are some times when I, I just, I, I don't have the right answers for them. And I feel like if I tried to answer it the way that I think would be best, I might lead them astray. And so as a parent, you know, as a, as a couple, we've, we've made it a goal really to understand what this Bible tells us and how, how powerful it is and how often, for whatever reason, God is last option for many Christians. It ought to be first option, always. To lean on him even for the simple things. I've heard people joke about, oh, I need to pray, pray to God about how I lost my keys. But if you get into the habit of just leaning on God for everything, I think you'd be a whole lot better off. So often we just, we muddy the waters. And I, I've, I hear some of the things, you know, my coworkers, people that we go out and witness to, and they tell you about the problems with their children and, and the circumstances, the trials they're facing. And you just think, man, if, if they would just come to church and they would just open this up, probably change their whole life. And it's really made me think a lot about my past. Many of you, you know, have told me some of the things that you've struggled with in the past, some of the, some of the trials you've been through, and I think, how, how powerful is that? Now, I'll be honest with you, I wish that I could have a testimony that as a young person, I got saved and I just dedicated my life to God right then and there. That's a powerful testimony. Don't ever let anybody take that away from you. Amen. That's good. 
but that's not my testimony. And for a long time, that really, really, really bothered me. I used to be embarrassed about telling people about my testimony. And there are parts that nobody will ever know, not even my wife. There's just such shame in some of the things that have happened in my past. But I believe parents, I believe grandparents, Ben and Emily, our pastor, the men and women of this church, I believe we owe it to our young people to guide them in that way. There are things that we've experienced in life that if we would just be willing, you don't have to go into graphic detail. I understand some of that. Some of it's pretty rough. But if we would just be willing to show them that, we might, we might save them from a life of misery. And I've been very burdened about that, especially with young people getting to leave the home. It's very interesting because we have two teenagers that are very close to leave the house, and I joke with them all the time about how I can't wait to get rid of them. But the truth is, I'm terrified because I know how wicked the world is. And then I have two young ones that are watching their older siblings, and they're going to be asking questions, and then they're going to be going in the same footsteps as their siblings. So what do you do? What do you do? There, there are many things in my life that I have gone through that I hope that I can use that to help be a blessing to others so that you guys don't have to go through that. I've, I've come up here, and I've talked about my testimony pretty in-depth. I've talked to many of you in depth, one-on-one, -on -one about my testimony. And I know many of you have struggled with the same things that I've struggled with. And we could use that. We could use that for the glory of God to help our young people. Uh, so this evening, we'll turn to Proverbs chapter number 23. When you're there, say amen. amen. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. And put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this evening, Lord. It is not my intention to come up here, Lord, and glorify sin. Uh, Lord, I hope to do the opposite, Lord, but I do hope to be a blessing uh, to anybody here this evening that might need to hear what you have for them, Lord. I very specifically pray for our young people, Lord, with the decisions that they're going to make coming up with Bible college and even, even jobs and careers if they choose the secular world path. Uh, Lord, we understand that uh, you are in control, Lord, if we would just allow you to be in control of our lives, Lord. I pray that these young people would get a hold of that and get a hold of your word and let it be for your praise, honor, and glory, Lord. We do love you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Four things this evening I'd like us to consider. The title of my message this, this evening is Lessons Learned the Hard Way. It is my desire, and I'm sure many of, of us in here would desire that our young people would not have to go through those hard lessons. Now, we know, we know life in general is hard. It's tough. 
I believe more so as Christians, we're going to see obstacles that the world might not see. And we know who our strength lies in. But I'm talking about when young people have the potential to stray into the world, how dangerous that is. So there are some things I'd like us to consider. Four points this evening. Number one, consider what is before thee. Verses one and two there. We'll reread those real quick. It says, when thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently that is before thee. We have to put effort into what is before us and put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. I believe in order to consider what is before thee, we have to consider what is, we, we, it must be vital that we take inventory of ourselves. We have to know ourselves. We have to know what our weaknesses are. Now, we don't always like that because I don't know about you guys, but every time I open my Bible, I see an area that I need work in in my life. But we need to take inventory of that if we're going to be a help to our young people. I understand that it isn't always fun to know your weaknesses, but how powerful it is when you know that. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, so we have to remember that. The Bible says to put a knife to thy throat, really meaning to have self-restraint. You think about that. Have you ever, ever seen like a hostage situation is what comes to mind, and you think about somebody putting a knife to their throat. What is that person going to do? They're going to do nothing. They can't go forward because they're afraid that they're going to hurt themselves. That's the same way we need to take our walk with God. We shouldn't go forward without first praying to God because we don't know if what we're getting into is going to cause damage, unrepairable damage. How important it is, how vital it is that we know our weaknesses and we allow God to expose those weaknesses and help us to grow in those weaknesses. If there be any desire at all to partake of anything against the word of God, we had better find an exit real quick. But the thing about that is, if we're not spending time in God's word, how do we know those? Those weaknesses, how do we know those? God needs to expose those to us. He needs to reveal those to us. We need to get a hold of God's word. So much of what we fall into comes from a lack of knowing God's word. In life, especially our young people, you are at some point going to be exposed to some things that if not considered could have a very negative effect on your lives. That's why it's important we can consider our company and what is before us. We need to take inventory of the people around us. Know the type of people you're surrounding yourself with. I talked about Jeremy and Jillian having jobs. And many of you know, many of you that have secular world jobs, sometimes you're around people and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. But you don't have to allow their filth into your mind and into your heart. That's why we have to have a song in our hearts. We have to spend time in our word with God. We have to spend prayer with God. He will guide us through those tough times. There is absolutely no reason to jump into any relationships or even friendships right away. If there's anything that I, I wish you guys would take away from this message is you guys can be cautious in life. That's absolutely okay. I, I am cautious of everybody I meet now just because of what I've experienced in my past. Now, does that make, mean I think everybody's bad? No, absolutely not. But I want to know if the person that I'm going to surround myself with is the person that I want my family around. Am I comfortable with this person being around my children? Do I have the same beliefs as these people? Are these people that I really want to be around? I promise you, if anyone is worth keeping around, there will be no rush or pressure to jump into anything. Those are the best friendships. When you're not forcing somebody, it goes so much smoother. We can all be on the same page doctrinally and go forward. But if you're around somebody that doesn't line up with this book, why, why keep them around? 
We, we often like to use that excuse. I hear this from young people a lot. Well, I want to bring them to church and I want to get them involved and I want to, I want to help them change and I want to show them what the Word of God says. And you know, I understand in the right instance, in the right circumstance, with the right supervision, that is possible. But I speak from experience tonight. When you do it on your own, you're going to fall towards the world side and they're not going to fall towards you. I remember when I was 16, I was, I was very uh, fired up about getting my first job. You know, I wanted to make money. I thought I was going to be rich. I was excited about it, right? Uh, so I, I applied for a bunch of jobs. McDonald's, of all places, told me they wouldn't hire me. I never understood that one. I thought they hired everybody. But I ended up working at this place called Stevie D's. Uh, a friend or somebody that I thought was a friend referred me, and you know I kind of took the job not really knowing what I was going to get into. I didn't really know what this place was. Well, come to find out, it was a bar and grill. And I instantly knew, red flag, I shouldn't do this. But I was more focused on the money that I was going to make rather than the consequences that might ensue. I was a short order cook at this bar and grill for about two years. Very quickly, I became exposed to drunkards and just absolute filth. Some of the things that went on in that place, I, I would never repeat out of embarrassment, just absolute disgustingness. And to be honest with you, it made me feel extremely uncomfortable. But I kept staying there. I kept working there. I, th I thought, okay, well, I'll get through this and I'll just make money and it'll just get better as I go along. And I really hadn't been saved very long at this, this point. Many of you know I was saved at 15, and just shortly after, just a couple months, I had turned 16, and right after this, I started working. So we're talking about a six-month time period. I really didn't know much about God's Word, really had never spent time in the Bible. But I remember hearing people tell me how cautious I need to be about the people that were around me. I knew, I knew for sure what was taking place wasn't right for me as a 16-year-old boy to be around, let alone anybody else. But at that time in my life, I was mostly on my, on my own. My parents had been divorced a few years, and at this point, my dad was always working. My mom had lived in California with my brother, and I lived in Florida with my dad. And, and I want you guys to understand this, and I don't blame my dad for the things that happened in my past. He wasn't there, but that wasn't his fault. He was doing the very best that he could to provide for us financially. I can't blame him for the decisions that I made. We need to be held accountable for the decisions that we made. I really thought that I was gonna go into this with the head down mentality. If I just worked and worked and worked, nobody would bother me. But it really didn't take long before people started talking to me. And you know, when you get into the world, they just love to prod. Ooh, look at this Christian boy. Let's see what we can get him to do. It's almost like a game for him. And you guys are experiencing some of that in schools. You're experiencing some of that in your workplaces. And you have to be so very cautious of it. They would invite me to hang out. And to be honest with you, at that point in my life, it really made me feel kind of good to have that attention. I liked it. Just being honest tonight, I liked that attention. It really wasn't long after that that I took my first drink of alcohol. And for eight long years, it affected my life negatively. Every time I thought, I need to get out, I need to get out, I need to get out. And I just kept digging further and further and further into sin. I knew right away that first drink, I knew that I was given to appetite with alcohol. It made me feel so cool. And you know what? It was fun for a season. But in my heart, I always knew it was wrong. I always felt miserable around the people I was around. 
I didn't know God's word, but I had heard over and over again godly men talk about the consequences of a life of sin. And I knew the effect of alcohol through watching others suffer. We call it alcoholism, but it's not drunkenness. We understand that this evening. And I remember my uncle specifically had a very, very, very deep addiction to drugs and alcohol. I watched that. As a child, I knew the effects of it. I always used to tell myself, man, I, I really don't want to end up like that. My great-grandfather, now I didn't know him when he was younger and when he was a drunkard, but I saw him towards the end of his life, and I saw the negative impact it had on his health. Drastic consequences. But they don't tell you that. I knew that it would end up in a life of chaos. I knew that. I had always told myself that I wouldn't end up in that situation. I knew the people around me were people I should not have been around. I knew that I should have considered my company. I should have considered what was before me, but I let myself believe that I needed it and that these people cared about me, but they didn't. And they don't care about you and don't ever fall into that trap. The truth is I mostly surrounded myself with these people because I was desirous of what I thought they had, which leads me to point number two, consider the consequences. Verse number three, be not desirous of his dainties for they are deceitful meat. That word dainties, it refers to delicacies or something that is pleasing to the taste or temptingly served. I don't know if you've ever eaten at maybe a nicer restaurant and you see the dessert cart go by. Anybody else in here love cheesecake? <laughs> Amen. Right with God. You see that big four-inch slice of cheesecake, real big. You're going to pay $30 for it. It's got the fruit all sprinkled down the top, and you just your, your fork just goes through it like butter. You take that bite, and it's just absolutely amazing. That's sin. <laughs> it's tempting like that. Could we say tonight that that which is pleasing and tempting to our flesh, those are the dainties that we need to watch out for? You see, I thought what they had was a joyful life. I thought they were happy. It seemed as they had no problems. They had no cares. They were always laughing and joking with one another. It just seemed like a good time. I was envious of that. I desired that. It was appealing to me. And now, as I said before, this is, this is what I think about as a father. Worst case scenario. And you guys would be foolish to think if this, this doesn't take place in Bible college. I worry about that with my daughter and my son. They've, they've, they've expressed desire to go to Bible colleges. And I, I like to let myself think, oh, you know, they'll be okay. But it, it doesn't matter where the sinner is at. Whether they're in Bible college or UCLA, it doesn't matter. They are going to drag you down. We have to be cautious. We have to consider the consequences. We have to be in prayer to God. For a, for a long time, really, I thought this is the life that I need to live if I'm going to be happy. And I believed it. I allowed myself to believe it. Here I was, 16 years old, being exposed to a life of drunkenness and all that comes with that, which I will not go into detail about, but absolute filth, disgustingness. And I know many of you share the same testimony as me, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And for those of you that know what I'm talking about, you know how important it is that we don't allow these young people to see those things. We need to guard them. We need to guide them. We need to spend time in prayer for them. 
I remember at 16, I thought I was so cool drinking at work and just watching what I thought was people having a good time. But it really wasn't long before the fun part wore off and I began to actually listen what was going on around me. People I worked with would complain. They would complain about problems at home. They would complain about their children. They would complain about money. I remember one girl in particular, she would complain about money all the time to the point where she got the idea that she was going to steal money from the register. And I remember watching that as a 16-year-old boy. I knew. I knew that was wrong. I knew that was sin. I knew she shouldn't have been doing that. But when you get wrapped up in this lifestyle, it's amazing how far away from God you can get. Even when you remember the verses and the hymns and the godly men and women that God has put in your life, it's amazing when you think you need something, how far away from God you can get. It went from a joyous time of what I thought was fun and exciting to seeing the deception. I soon learned that it was all a front. You would watch these people come in and they would drink alcohol by the gallons just to let off a little bit of steam and have a little bit of fun, but they were really only using that to hide the sorrow and chaos in their lives. If you stopped and listened, it's, you know, I'm sure many of you have heard the jokes, but they always talk about how bartenders are therapists. Now, those of us that have been in that lifestyle, we understand that. I'm not trying to glorify sin tonight, but they talk about that. Why? Because people come and they spend all their hard-earned money to drink their sorrows away and complain to people that they don't know about all their problems, when if they just stopped and considered the consequences and came to church and laid all their cares upon God, then he would solve their problems for them and give them guidance on how to overcome those problems. The world tells us it is fun and normal. They try to make it a casual thing. It's okay. It's okay after work if you run by the gas station and grab a six-pack and you take it home and just, you know, get a little buzzed. It's okay. But they don't talk about the things that are going to happen. You get that addiction, and then you have to have more of it. You have to have more of it. You have to have more of it. It becomes excess, and it leads to more problems, health problems, strained relationships, wayward children, financial problems, sorrow, and anguish. Dangerous, life-altering consequences for decisions made in times of altered reality. I had a friend in high school right around the time, uh, about 10th, 11th grade, me and this, this uh, buddy of mine, his name is Forrest, and uh, we became good friends. We played football together, we weightlifted together, and we did a lot of sports and activities together. And we even hung out outside of school and had worked together for a little while. And then I remember when I went off to college, he stayed, he stayed back home and uh, worked for his father's business. I remember uh, about halfway through my first year of college, I get a phone call about how Forrest had wrecked his truck. Uh, I would later learn that that evening he had drank quite a bit of alcohol. He was obviously impaired and shouldn't have been driving, but what was more concerning than that was he had his eight-year-old brother with him that night. And as he had drunk himself into a stupor and he was all over the place and being belligerent and arguing with people, he decided that he was going to leave hastily with his brother. Well, another friend of ours had grabbed the little brother out of the front seat, and thankfully so, because less than a mile down the street, they found Forrest's truck had gone off the road and into the woods. 
They said the only thing that saved him was the fact that he didn't have his seatbelt on. The truck was so mangled that had he had his seatbelt on, he would not have been ejected from the truck. They found his body about 30 feet from the truck. He ended up spending quite a bit of time in the hospital. And I remember going back that summer and I saw him and this was not the same man that, that I was friends with in high school. Even to this day, as his body continues to age, he will never have the mental capacity more than that of a 10-year-old. It's not the same person. We need to consider the consequences. It is so vital we consider the company we keep and the consequences therein, how drastically a life can be altered. We don't think about that. And sometimes maybe as parents, maybe as grandparents, maybe as senior saints, we don't do a good enough job about telling you guys about that. There is a very real world out there, and they do not care about your testimony. In fact, they want to do everything to tear you guys down in such a way that they can, it's almost like a game for them. They want to say, ah, oh, look what I got this Christian to do. They glory in it. What a testimony it is when you say, no, I'll stand alone. I don't need friends like that. Even if it means you're not going to have friends, God will always be with you. How often do we look upon the lives of others and think, wow, that looks great. We think, man, they got it all together. They never have any problems. Seems like they're good to go spiritually. It seems like they're good to go financially. Seems like they have it all together. But then how often do we stop to consider, is it deceitful meat? Is there really more to it that we're not seeing? Is it really all they make it out to be? And oftentimes, you will find out that it isn't. And I would caution you, young people, if you're unsure, you read this book. Look, I can't make a lot of promises because I break most of my promises. But this promise I can keep. If you will read this book, God will make it clear to you. He doesn't dabble in the area of confusion. He doesn't desire that you learn lessons the hard way. I don't believe that he desired that my life, my past, would be the way that it was. I did that. I strayed from God. But by God's grace, I'm here tonight. Amen. And as embarrassed as I was for so many years, I hope to use that, not so that I can glorify sin. I wish that I, I never had to talk about this stuff. But so that I can prevent you guys from ever having to live that life. I realize this isn't a screaming message tonight, but I hope I'm hitting hearts. No, better yet, I hope God's hitting hearts. Because this is powerful. It really is. I say it from a place of love because I know the pain and anguish that comes from the life that I once lived. Brother Che, I, I really don't know a lot about your testimony, just from what your son has told me about you and Miss Nancy. But you guys would do well to go talk to them. You guys would do well to go talk to Miss Priscilla, Brother Luke, Brother Darren. I'm not saying that they're here to glorify sin either, but I'm telling you, I know these men and I know these women and I know their hearts and I know they have a passion for our young people and they want to see them be successful. They want to see them go the way God desires you to go. There's a lot of time that is spent in prayer for you guys. 
Not many churches will spend time in prayer and spend money to be able to send you guys halfway across the country to be able to enjoy those things. We have a very fortunate youth group here. We were very blessed that we were able to acquire Brother Ben and Miss Emily. I don't think you guys understand the heart that they have for this ministry. They open up their homes to you guys. I mean, I'm pretty convinced Riley thinks Ryan's his little brother. He carries them around. That's because they love you. They allow you to do that. They have a, they have a great passion for the youth. They came here, and to be honest with you, I, I, I kept my distance. I wanted to see if they were really here for the right reasons. And I could tell you they are. They're fully invested in you guys. And so is the rest of this church. We spent time in prayer for you guys. I told you it's a very pointed message tonight. I'm very burdened about our young people. We're getting to a time. Summer break is coming up. We were talking about this in Sunday school just this last week. Do you guys understand that summer vacation back just 100 years ago, not that long ago, wasn't for Disneyland and sleeping in all day? You know what those kids did? Dad needed help with the harvest. They worked. You guys are very blessed with what you have here. You're very blessed to be a part of it. Brother Luke loves you guys. That's why he spends hours upon hours in a bus with you guys. We joke about that, right? And we laugh about it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but he does it because he loves you. But let that be a warning to the other men in here. We still need some CDL drivers. So we need to step up in that way. We talk about how much we love these, this, this youth, then we're going to have to sacrifice for them a little bit. And if a couple grand is too much, then I question whether you really love them. In the grand scheme of things, they're worth it. This life the world lives and shoves in our faces is a life that leads to misery. I've seen that firsthand. All of them. They try to hide it but they're miserable. I truly believe that the only way you can have joy is to have Jesus Christ in your life. There is no other way. This world, they are unsure of themselves. I mean, they can't even figure out what gender they are from day to day. It's an absolute joke. People talk about, oh, America's such a great country. I'm sorry, I think we're the laughing stock. We're one of the only countries that has the problems that we have with this because we allow it. Christians allow that. I don't play into that fantasy. I'm not going to listen to that garbage, and I'm not going to let my kids play into that fantasy. But we need to, to take a stand against stuff like that. It has no place in the, in the house of God. This world, they have nothing to offer God's children, and yet somehow, some way, we as Christians, we fall into it so easily. Just, just so easily. Just, it just it blows my mind. You watch some of the people come into church and you watch them get sold out and it's just, just next day, they're gone. It breaks your heart and you wonder why, but you know what? Don't be quick to judge them. One bad day, one bad day, no more church, no more God. That's all it takes, one bad day. The pastor gets up here and you don't agree with one thing he says, I'm leaving the church. I don't ever want to be a part of the church. Turning your back on, on the man of God or God. I promise you our pastor is going to be okay if you're mad at him. But he's not going to be okay if you, if you leave 
and you go out into the world. It's not going to be okay if you guys leave and go out into the world. There's a lot of time invested in you guys. If we would just stop and pray and consider, how much heartache could we avoid? I wish that I could take back all the tears. I wish that I could take back all the pain and sorrow that I experienced. And I'm sure many of you as well. If we would just stop. We talk about how powerful God is. Do we really believe it? Do we, we really believe that he could change our lives? We come in here and some of us, we're so super spiritual and we just, we put on our suits and we act all holy, but then we get out there and we act just like him. And our kids see that. You know, it's hard. I can't imagine. I know we have some kids in here that go to public school and I, I personally am not against public school. I believe that Christians need to be there as well. But it takes a strong-willed family that wants to be in the will of God that gets a hold of this to go through that. There's absolute wickedness out there. But number three, consider thy riches. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's read verses 4 and 5. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I believe under the wrong influence, we can have a very distorted view of riches. I remember as a 16-year-old boy being very excited about my first job. So it was no surprise to me when Jeremy and Jillian started their first jobs that they were excited. Uh, but I remember uh, Jeremy, you know, as soon as he got his first paycheck, he got a, a reality check as to what taxes are. So <laughs> he didn't understand that. He's like, I don't understand where all my money went. I worked, I worked 45 hours. I should get this. Oh, boy. <laughs> he didn't understand that. And he would, he would run around the house when he would get his checks. And he said, I'm rich, I'm rich. And, you know, we, we would laugh and we would joke. And, and I understand that. I, I, I don't think he was being uh, rude in any way. But uh, it's very concerning because they can have a very distorted view uh, of what riches really are. The world says to be rich is to have all that thy heart desires in money and possessions. That's what, what the world thinks being wealthy is. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. We see there in verse number four, we are to labor not to be rich. What are they talking about? Not to be monetarily rich. Our treasures are laid up in heaven. Our labor is for God. Everything that we do ought to give glory to him. If it doesn't glorify him, then why are we doing it? You know, we talk about our jobs, some of the men, you know, we talk about our secular world jobs and some of the th things you have to deal with, some of the garbage you have to deal with, with this generation coming up behind us. And that's very tough. But if we have the right mindset, we can go to work and we can still give glory to God. We could be thankful that he allows us to work in such a way that we can provide for our families. I'm not saying that money is bad, but does the money have you or do you have your money? There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. I don't know about you guys, but there is something special about every time we hear about a soul getting saved. 
we are, are on fire as a church. I, I, I strive to be a better soul winner every time I go out. I can't tell you how many times I get to people's doors and I get the opportunity to give the gospel. And you know what? Sometimes they just don't accept Jesus Christ. And it's always a, it's, it's a burden because you feel as though you have failed. But we have to realize all we can do is give the gospel. We can't force people to get saved. But there is something sweet about when you see a person come to the realization that they know they're lost. And in a second, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And never to have to spend a second in hell. Have we not seen in our own lives time and time again that when we give everything to God, he gives riches far better than monthly or money or earthly possessions? We have the blessed assurance that we are never going to have to spend a second in hell if we are saved tonight. What a blessing that is. What a blessing the riches God gives in godly parents to young men and women. Saved children. Now, Brother Luke, you came up here not too long ago and you talked about how you, you know for sure all of your kids are saved. Now, I know as Christians, we're not supposed to envy, but I am envious of that fact, sir. I look forward to the day that Holden and Hudson get a hold of Jesus Christ. That is something I pray about all the time. I am very blessed and fortunate to know that I am saved, that my wife is saved, that Jillian and Jeremy are both saved, but I worry a whole lot about Holden and Hudson. I really want to see God do amazing things in their life. Those, those are my riches. That's what I'm investing my time in. If I never become a millionaire, that's okay with me. But if they're used of God, how far better is that? We have a church to come to and worship freely in. You know they don't have that all over our country. We're not even talking about the rest of the world. We're just talking about our country. Churches are shutting down every year at an alarming rate whether it be finances or a pastor that doesn't have the right doctrine, whatever the case is, people, it seems like you go out and every time we go out soul winning, there are people that desire to know Jesus Christ, but then you hear story after story about churches shutting their doors because of the wickedness that takes place in churches today. We spoke with a lady not too long ago this last week. She was talking about uh, wanting to find a good church in Corpus Christi. And she had talked about visiting a specific church, and she had talked about going to other churches. And she said, the problem is, is that she goes to some of these churches, and she had two teenagers and two young children in the home. And she thinks that many of these churches don't dedicate enough time to raising up our youth. And I 100% agree. If you want your kids to play video games, you send them to Church Unlimited. Yeah. If that's what you want for your kids, you go ahead, you send them there. But if you want kids that are going to be admonished and nurtured in the Word of God, you bring them here. Amen. I 100% believe we have one of the best youth groups in this city, if not the best. Amen. Just from what I've talked to from people at other churches, they, some of them don't even have a youth department. You know what their young people do? They're just a part of the service. But we have I Am Brian. We have youth conference. You guys have your own Sunday school class. It takes a lot of time and effort and planning and prayer because people love you. People that have learned lessons the hard way and don't want you guys to fall into those same paths that we fell into. Many of you guys probably think that I don't even know you or that I don't like you or that I don't love you or care about you one bit. That's my demeanor. I'm sorry. That's my face. I got to work on it. But I do. I spend a lot of time in prayer for you guys.
I love each and every one of you. Woo. Some of you, I, I want to know more about you. Yeah. Ethan, you're called to preach. Jeremy, called to preach. Gavin, you're called to preach. How many churches could say that? That they're having young teenage boys. Riley got up here and surrendered his life to whatever God would have him to do. Talk about young people. They get up here and say, you know, I'm going to change the way I dress. And we think, we think that's a small thing. That's huge in the eyes of God. Anything done for God is huge. And he blesses that. And we've watched our youth department. Yeah, maybe we're not where we once were physically in number, but the spiritual growth, Brother Ben, Miss Emily, the spiritual growth is powerful. Uh, the, The change that I've seen in Riley, I mean, there was a time when I wanted to wring your neck, kid. But he is, he's probably one of the, the, the nicest kids I've ever met. He's respectful. I don't know if he's the same way at home, Brother Luke, but he's respectful. He's, he's very, he, what I've learned about Riley is, is that he has, a, he has a mind and a heart for ministry. He really does. I watch you guys. I, I enjoy watching it, and I think, man, I wish I would have done that when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. I wish that I would have listened to those men and women that tried to encourage me to get right with God, and instead I went towards the world. And I really hope that you guys don't ever go that way. I really hope that you never have to experience the pain and the suffering and the anguish. There are parts of my life that will never, ever be the same because of my past. Things that I have seen and witnessed and heard that I could never tell you. But I could promise you that they would break you because they broke me. There are things that you shouldn't see as a 16, 17-year-old boy. There are things that you shouldn't do in your age bracket. There are mistakes that if you guys would just listen to what we're trying to say to you, that you wouldn't have to deal with any of that. You know, you, you might get picked on. You might be, get, get called a square, you know. But I tell you what, there's something powerful about when you live for God and you look back on that and you say, man, God brought me through all of that. Yeah, I realize we're not yelling tonight, but I don't understand. I don't think you guys understand how heavy this really is, how important it is. I think our youth, what they face today, I struggle a great deal with this, and I've talked to pastor about this. I worry about what our young people are going to have to deal with. This whole... Yeah. Yeah, Brother Dusty, that's right. I, I, I don't know how to navigate that. How are you guys going to navigate that? You know what pastor told me? He said, well, how did you get through life? It hasn't changed. It's just as powerful then, now, and forever. This is, this is the greatest thing that God has ever given us. Aside from Jesus Christ, his son, this is the greatest thing that God has ever given us. And we don't read it. And it breaks my heart. I wish I could tell you that I knew the ins and outs of this book. I wish I could tell you that I knew all of it. I wish that I could tell you I was great at memorizing scripture. I wish I could tell you those things, but I'm not. But I look at my Bible and I see how beat up it is. And maybe that doesn't mean anything to you. 
but it's very significant to me because it reminds me of the times that I was in battle. And it reminds me of the times that I called out to God on how I was going to get through those hard times. You could probably offer me a new Bible, but I probably wouldn't take it. This one means something to me. The contents of it are the same, I understand. But it's a reminder of how good God has been to me and how he has brought me through many things. And how I know if you guys would just get a hold of this very simple message, if you would just get a hold of how powerful this book is, I know, I know that you guys would never have to deal with any of that hurt and pain. Does that mean life's going to be easy? Absolutely not. I've gotten way away from my message, but I think, I think God laid that on my heart, and I think we needed to hear that. But here's the thing about earthly riches and possessions. They never satisfy Never satisfy. Look at verse number five. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong... Thanks for stopping me, guys. (laughs) Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I get these illustrations in my mind when I think about these. And when I think about this, I think about somebody standing at the edge of a a cliff and there's wealth and they're just trying so hard to reach out to it, but it's always just outside of their reach. And the more they try, they fall into the world. We must have the right view of riches. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much overtime you put in, no matter how much you save, if you trust in your riches, it'll never be enough. You'll never be satisfied with it. To be truly rich as the world sees it, it is completely unobtainable. You will never arrive at being rich. Brother Dusty, we were just talking about Elon Musk. Billionaire, one of the richest men in, in, in the world. Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, I'm sure we could name others. You ask them, I guarantee you, 100%, they would never say, you know, I have too much. And they just give a little bit away. I have way too much money. No, they're never going to say that. Never going to say that because their trust is in their riches. It's always going to be, you know, I could always have a little bit more. I could have a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. You know, we've never, as far as I know, I don't think any individual has ever become a trillionaire. But I was reading an article about Michael Jordan and about how his goal was to set out to be a trillionaire. That just shows you how powerful money is. That's what he's tracing. Riches. They can disguise it as legacy to be left to their children. They can say that they'll help others, and, and, you know, maybe here and there, maybe, you know, I'll give $10,000. I have billions in the bank, but I'll give this. They can say they, they're going to help people, and, and you know what the truth of the matter is? Oftentimes they don't, but this world cares more about their monetary riches than they care about anything else. The love of money is the root of all evil. I remember one time we were in a meeting at work and uh, the owner shows up and he goes into his long spiel about how amazing he is and how he's conquered so many trials and how he's made so much money and he reaches into his pocket and he was just standing there and he pulls out this cash 
starts counting it. Ones, twenties, fives, hundreds, two thousand dollars. Talked about how much he loved the fact that he could have two thousand dollars of pocket change in his in his pocket. It's all he ever talks about when he comes into the dealership. He likes to tell me how much his Rolex costs and how much he paid for his shoes, how much his house costs to be built. And he tries to disguise it as, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this legacy behind for my children. But the truth is, if you were to try to take even just one penny of his money, you become his worst enemy. That's the way the world thinks of riches. The love of money is the root of all evil. I've watched several younger people find themselves around people that have placed great priority on wealth and obtaining possessions. I remember my time in UTI. I went to trade school for about two and a half years. And I remember just my short time there watching people get tied up into this. You know, you, you get into college and you have to figure out how you're going to pay your college bill and you have to figure out how you're going to pay rent. And of course, you got to have a vehicle and you know, you got to keep up with the Joneses and have all the nice stuff. And you got to figure out how you're going to do that in college. And then you meet these people, these, these deadbeats that like to hang out with younger people, really have no idea why they do that because they're such losers that they can't hang out with people their own age. And they want to drag you down. Be cautious of those people. I speak from experience. I remember watching these young people fall into that lifestyle. Anything and everything you can imagine to make money. DUIs. Massive debt. I remember a kid just 19 years old, he applied for a credit card. He was approved for that credit card. And I don't know how he did this, but somehow he got a $100,000 credit line. He maxed it out in like six months. He went and bought four-wheelers. He bought stuff for his friends. He bought a trailer, but no truck. He wasn't very bright. He went and bought a BMW. And he bragged about it. And I'm thinking, $100,000, the interest on that? You're going to be pay your kids are going to be paying on that. <laughs> Drug addictions, alcohol addictions. When you're exposed to that, especially when young, it can seem very appealing. We can get an eye for that. You are not exempt from that just because you're saved. You have the same flesh. We're still given to that temptation. We have to guard that. There's, there's absolutely no shame in running away. Run away. If you get even one run, red flag, run away. There's nothing wrong with that. What happens is young people, they see all the possibilities that monetary riches can potentially afford them. We think that if we get that money, we're going to have this extravagant, amazing lifestyle. But that's not always the case. Oftentimes, I don't know what it is about, about money, but you hear, you hear all these stories about these people that won the lottery, and most of the time, you know what they end up telling you when they win the lottery? They said, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. The worst thing. Because they, they end up blowing it on, on worthless stuff. They give it away to people that they don't even know or care about. And they end up getting into these addictions because, you know, I've already done everything else. I've already bought everything else. I might as well start destroying my body. And they fall into that all because they have a distorted view of riches. When we don't understand God's view on riches, we open ourselves up to a very dangerous world. I'm convinced myself personally in the light that money itself, just money, 
is more powerful than any drug or any addiction in the world today. People exhaust themselves to get more of it. They go to great lengths to protect it. Senseless murder over, over money, we hear about it time and time again. Crime, crimes committed to obtain more of it. They hide it, they worry, and they think everybody is out to take their money. Money is dangerous. Don't fall victim to it. Understand God's point of view on riches. It is okay. I joke about this with my Sunday school class all the time. God can't give me a million dollars because I'm a selfish person. I'll spend it on myself. I'll blow it. I know that about myself. That is my weakness. But then there are some, even in our church, that God has blessed financially far beyond what I could ever imagine, and it means nothing to them because they're more concerned about seeing souls get saved and seeing people go to heaven. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. It becomes more important to them than anything else. A distorted view of riches all because we didn't take time to consider what God says on the matter. And then lastly this evening, consider their intent. Consider their intent. Verse 6 and 7. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. I don't believe that we should approach every person as if we think that they have evil intent. But I do believe that we ought to strongly consider the intent of the people that we choose to surround ourselves with. I'll be real honest with you tonight. This is, this is specifically talking about lost people, but I personally have never met a lost person that has done something nice to me or for me or for my family without the expectation of me doing something better than what they did for me. That's just the way they think. Don't think that anybody is going to be nice to you just because they're nice people. We're talking about lost people. Come to the house of God. It's a whole different world here. People love you and they care about you. People will try to lure you in with what they have hopes in, that you might covet what they have. You could have this too if you would just do this. Now, I'm going to caution you guys, again, from a place of experience. Do not fall into that trap. I wasted eight years in misery because I fell into that trap. I got into the automotive industry because I wanted to make great money. And I blew all that money on alcohol and stupidity. And I'll never get it back. I wasted that time that I could have been effective for the glory of God as a drunkard. And I don't say this to be discouraging, but if you're not careful, one of you could end up in that same condition. It is so very important that you guard your hearts. Moms and dads, it's so very important that we also aid in guiding them for the glory of God. God has given us these children. We need to be good stewards of what God has given us. He has loaned those possessions to us. We do not own them. They are his. We must take care of them. You know what? I don't always do a good job of that. For a long time, I struggled with Jeremy and Jillian because they weren't my own. And I had to stop thinking that way. And as much as, as I, I mess with them and, and tell them, you know, I can't wait till you guys go to Bible college. I'm looking forward to the quiet. And, you know, I joke with them. But, but that's, that's not something I should do. 
Because the truth of the matter is I do love them and I do care about them. Just like you moms and dads, I know you care about your children as well. And I care about your children and I know you care about my children. They lure you in and they entertain you with their lavish lifestyle. But get this, you are nothing but a pawn in their eyes. That's it. They don't care about you. They don't care about your well-being. They don't care how successful you are. They are only going to use you. And if you just understand that now, you'll save yourself a lot of headache later. I'm not saying that we go in and just say, oh, man, Ethan's really bad. No, I'm not saying that. But when God starts giving you red flags, do you really need to hang out with these people? And if you're like me and you're foolish and you're stubborn, you keep pushing forward, it's going to end in a lot of misery and a lot of heartache. They will seem as though they really care about you, but they don't. I remember just shortly after I started going back to church, uh, I had just started. I hadn't been with Volkswagen very long, but there was this, this, this guy. He was just one of those. He seemed very friendly all the time. He was just always a nice guy, always trying to include people and stuff. And, and he would always make it a point to talk to me, ask me how my day was doing, ask me, you know, if there was anything I needed for whatever reason. He'd bring me barbecue. Just bring me lunch. Just, you know, bring, as a young man, I'm like, oh, this is cool. You know, I, I don't have a lot of money anyways, so I'm getting free lunch. And, you know, this guy seems like he really cares about me. He would invite me to these gatherings. And, and, and you know, I always felt weary of that. I never really went to those gatherings because there was something that just didn't seem right. But I was going to take his lunch, and I was going to continue to talk to this guy. It seems like every time that I saw him, he would just be cutting up and joking and laughing. But... After a while, I learned he was looking for something in return. And I kid you not, he asked me if I wanted to be a drug runner for him. And I can't even make this up. He said, you know, you would be perfect for the job because you're white and you're normal. He said, there's no way you'd ever get caught. At first, I laughed it off. I said, what, what are you talking about? What? what? No. Why do I want to be? Oh, I promise, man, you won't get caught. But you know what I found out? The more I learned about that individual, he was very heavily involved. Think about that. I, my mind always goes to some of the worst things. And instantly I thought cartel, death, murder, kidnapped. That's scary stuff. And how easy, if we don't guard our hearts and we don't guard ourselves, how easy that we can allow the intentions of these people that we surround ourselves with to take over. And they can guide us down a very dangerous path. I must hurry tonight. I find verse 8 rather interesting. It's a pretty grotesque verse, but let's read it there. It says, The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Having learned many lessons the hard way, having been involved with the wrong people and coming to a point that all the sin that I had done, there came a point where I just really didn't want anything to do with it anymore. It got tiring. A life of sin is exhausting. We talk about how tired we are as Christians, but there is such joy when you exhaust yourself for the glory of God. There's something exciting about going home and you know, man, I just did a lot of good work for the Lord, and I hope it's a blessing to somebody else. I'm not saying we take the glory for that, but glory be to God that we get to do that, that we get to be a part of this building program. But it's, it's, it's so grotesque when you think about it, but you get to a point that you just, you, you want to you get rid of it. You just want to get rid of that sin. You, you want to vomit it up. And that's, that's disgusting, right? 
but so is our sin. We're okay in living in that sin, but then we see stuff like that in the Bible. We're like, eh, that's pretty harsh, God. That's how much he hates our sin. That's how much we should hate our sin. All the cunning things people have said to get me to be a part of their wickedness, it all means nothing. Those sweet words, the sweet words that are exchanged, it was all just a front. Also that they could use you in their, in their wicked scheme to better themselves financially. They want you to be the fall guy. They want you to be the, the young child that, that takes the fall for them. You know, if you get in trouble, don't mention my name. I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you to do this. But the risk is far worse for you guys because they're going to make all the money. We have to understand that. People don't always have our best interest in heart, at heart. None of them care one bit about the fact God has completely changed my life. Not one of them. Not one person from my past has ever tried to contact me or has ever reached out and said, hey, how you doing? Not one. As soon as they found out I was saved and that I no longer wanted to be a part of that lifestyle, yeah. gone. Nothing to do with you. See, these people, these people that you build these relationships with, you four, you five on the front row, you young ladies, these people that you build relationships with, that's going to be the ones you remember on. Those are going to be your real friends. I would hope that they don't intend to use you in that way. It's always interesting to me. Sometimes I'll see some of the teen girls just pray together. That's amazing. You don't see that out in the world. People don't care about you. They don't love you. They don't want to see you grow. What can I get you to do for me? That's going to better my life. That's how, that's how the world looks at people. So what is the application in all of this? Now, obviously, I don't desire you to have to learn lessons the hard way. That isn't my intent. That isn't my desire. I didn't come up here in hopes to glorify sin and that you guys would want to live that life. There's much that I could go into detail about, but I can't. But I can tell you this, that it's not a life worth living. Well, how do we avoid that? Look in verse number 12. Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. You have in your arsenal tonight, if you brought in a KJV Bible with you, the most powerful thing in the world, the Word of God. You know, we hear that song, sin kept me from it, but now it keeps me from sin. If you get a hold of the words in this book, I promise you, God will not lead you astray. I cannot promise you it'll be easy, but I can promise you that God will never leave you astray. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to hold it close. But then also, we need to heed the warning of others. Is it not amazing? I think about Josh McKee isn't here tonight, but there's a time me and him talk quite a bit, and we have very similar backgrounds, very similar pasts. And there was a time that had we met when we were in our past, we wouldn't have got along. It would have came, it would have came to, to blows. But then by the grace of God, he brought two men like that. And then I think about all the testimonies I've heard in here. God, God has brought so many different people from so many different walks of life that have so much knowledge and wisdom to give you young people. Utilize it. Talk to them. I'm not saying we have to go into detail, but we can be a blessing. We can lift these kids up in prayer. We can tell them that it's not worth living. Many of us, we bear the physical scars. Many of us, we bear the emotional scars. We could share that with them. 
Sometimes I believe we need to get a little bit more real with our young people. You guys need to understand that this isn't a joke. Life is not a joke. It is so vital that we live for God. God places men and women in our lives that we can glean from. So many lessons that don't have to be learned the hard way if we would just listen. If we would read God's word and listen to the men and women that God places in your life. Listen to the pastor when he comes up here and preaches. Listen to those that he brings into our church and the, and the wisdom and the knowledge that they preach from this pulpit. If we would just listen to it. Oftentimes we come in, I know we're tired on Wednesday. I know I'm going a little long. I understand. But if you would just get a hold of what God is trying to tell you. These aren't my words. This isn't me. I'm just giving you what I've experienced. I hope that you don't ever have to experience that. But from the word of God, we don't have to go through those hard lessons in life. We don't have to experience that if we would just get a hold of God. If we would allow God to be in control of our lives and we would allow God to be just fully, absolutely, 100% the center of our lives and we kept our eyes focused on him, we could avoid so much heartache and so much headache and so much pain. We don't have to endure it, but let's be honest. The Christian life is already hard enough without us just throwing stuff on top of it. It's already, we're seeing so much opposition with this building program. The things that people ask, just the sickness issues that we're having within the church, just the issues in general that people are facing, the obstacles that people are facing, all because we took a step of faith and said, okay, God, you're in control. $2 million, that's a lot of money. We don't have $2 million in the bank, but we're stepping out on faith and we're trusting God that he's going to do that. People are going to persecute you for it. They're going to question why you do it. It's already hard enough living for God. Why add hard lessons on top of that? You don't have to. I stand here tonight telling you guys that I hope that you don't. If you would just get a hold of this book. You would just get around the God's people and just listen to what they're saying. Young people, if I could just express to you guys how much this church loves you, how much time is invested into you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands tonight because I believe if we were all honest with ourselves, we've all experienced some pretty hard lessons in life. We've all gone through things that we could use to help be a blessing to other people. The challenge tonight is very simple. We need some moms and dads. We need some young people. We need some grandparents that are willing to get out of their chair and come to the altar and spend time in prayer, asking God to give them guidance, asking God that they wouldn't have to go through those hard times, that their children wouldn't have to go through those hard times, that they would just allow him to be in full control of their lives. How, how amazing would it be if we just allowed God to be in full control? Not saying it's going to be easy. But I'm saying you could avoid so much heartache, so much headache, so much pain, so much sorrow if you just allow God to be in full control of your life. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.